You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to Marketing News Canada. I'm your host, Jill Saskin-Gales, and today I'm here with Morty Oberstein. Morty is the head of SEO branding at Wix, and he also serves as a communications advisor for SEMrush. Dedicated to SEO education, Morty is one of the organizers of SEO Chat, the host of the Serps Up podcast, and a popular industry author and speaker. Morty, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I have to ask, you're the head of SEO branding at Wix, and normally we think of SEO and brand marketing as very different marketing disciplines. So tell us a bit more about what exactly you do at Wix. This is sort of brand marketing SEO. So long story short, so Wix didn't always have the greatest reputation around SEO back in the day for a multitude of reasons. Uh, One, it used to be built on Flash. We used to use hash bin URLs, that kind of thing. We're talking like 10 years ago at this point. And about two or so years ago, they brought me in. I come from the SEO world. I do SEO. They kind of brought me in to sort of do community work to kind of repair that relationship with the SEO industry. And that sort of evolved. I took a little break from Wix at one point, went to actually SEMrush, came back to Wix. And now it's all about all the branding efforts, all the brand messaging, how we speak to SEO across multiple audiences. So we're talking to SEO professionals, talking to beginner SEOs, you're talking to um, you know a CEO of, a, of, an, of an SME somewhere. How do we talk about SEO and the brand and the value you get out of it with Wix to those various audiences? Hence, SEO branding. Got it. And I will say anecdotally, I have seen the fruits of that labor. I spend a lot of time on PPC chat rather than SEO chat and a lot of time on marketing TikTok. And you used to see people saying like, oh, SEO, Wix is terrible. Don't use it. But lately, I actually have seen a lot of people saying, no, Wix has changed. Wix is good for SEO now. So big kudos to you. I have observed that in the marketplace as well. Shout out to PPC chat too. Anu's chat. Is that, yes, um, Anu's chat is oh, great, and Julie Bacini yeah. leads it. For those who aren't familiar, hashtag PPC chat on Twitter. That's right. Anu's website is a Wix site. There you go. Exactly. And she's wonderful for those who don't follow she's her, amazing. Anu Adegbola. Love her. Yes. Wonderful. So, Morty, how did you get into SEO in the first place? That's a really good question. Like everybody else, by accident. I used to be a property manager. I'm like, I'm going to date myself almost like 20 years ago at this point. <laughs> Literally, holy cow, I started that 20 years ago. Wow, that's messed up. I just realized wow. that. I am old. That's not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but wise. But yeah. And then I became a teacher. I did something called Teach for America, where they kind of just throw you into the classroom. And from there, I started to work for an educational software company in Israel. And I was one of the only native English speakers. And I was creating curriculums for them and uh, teacher materials and blah, blah, blah. And they said, hey, could you handle like our social media and our website? I'm like, yeah, I can write anything. I love writing. I'm a great writer. And they said, great. We want organic traffic. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much how I started getting into SEO. And so at that time, I imagine a lot of your learning was Googling stuff, although of yeah. course, Google was still very young at that point and trying to learn from others. Like, How did you pick up this when it was still a very new discipline? A lot of it was search engine land. Uh, so shout out to them. They have something called, I think it's, they still have it, the periodic table of SEO or something like that, where you can go through all the different elements of, of SEO. I use that a lot to start with. And back in the day before Twitter, well, before what it is now, Twitter was actually great for learning things. And there was a really tight-knit community of SEOs on Twitter because it wasn't that huge yet when I got into it. There were big players at the time. You had your Rand Fishkins of the world and your, your Barry Schwartz, who's still around, obviously. 
Barry's not dead. Just so you know, he's still around. <laughs> Hi, Barry. Um, and you really got into really great conversations with those people. And I learned a ton. And just keeping up with the news, I think it's like my top way of learning SEO still to this day is the first thing I do in the morning outside like checking a couple emails, seeing anything crazy happened, is going to the SEO news website. So like Barry Schwartz, SEO Roundtable, search Ingerland, search in a journal, and just reading what's happening and understanding what Google, like Google's a living, breathing dynamic. It's an ecosystem. And as it changes, you can see focus. I was just talking about this in my podcast with Crystal Carter, the Surps Up podcast. Um, I don't know if the episode came out yet or not, but one of the things we were saying during the recording was, you know, back in the day when I first got into SEO, Google used to make all these changes and they're always about local. So the local pack where you have like your, you know, if you search for pizza in New York City, you get a little listing of those three businesses. Mm-hmm. They used to make all these changes to those kind of features and tests and all sorts of you know, modifications to it. And now it's all about the shopping features on the results page. Yes. And just seeing that by keeping up with the news kind of like really shows you like where the web is going, where Google's doubling down, who they think their biggest competitor is at this point. You learn a lot just by following the news and seeing where things are going directionally. Absolutely. And as someone who really focuses on the PPC side, I find something very similar, you know, always having to stay up to date. And we've also noticed on the paid ad side of Google that shopping has really taken over. All the big announcements this year are about commerce and making that search engine results page in my opinion, more Pinteresty and more Amazon-y. I'm curious yeah. what you think. <laughs> no, it's exactly what it is. I was talking to, um, I was talking to Sunrush today about this. I don't know if you've seen this yet. It's pretty new, but if you Google somebody, I don't know, you Google like, you know, Marie Haynes, she's a famous SEO. And there used to be like a, a, a box full of images. And now there's multiple boxes full of images. And I wanted to ask Sunrush, hey, can you pull a study and see how often that's happening? Because it is getting like it. I remember... When they first announced continuous scroll on mobile. So you know, back mm. in the day, it was you had to click to the next page and the next page or load more results, load more results, load more results. Now it kind of almost goes infinitely. It does stop at a certain point. Even now on desktop, they just announced that they, that's the same thing. Yes, they just announced it this yeah, week when we're recording this. <laughs> but but when, when they announced mobile, the same time, they started also interjecting much bigger images, more variety of images, because they knew if you're going to have continual scroll and you're going to treat it almost like a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed, it has to be like a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed. It has to be visually oriented. So that was very purposeful and very smart. Again, another point of keeping up with the updates, what Google's doing kind of tells you the way they're thinking about things. Yes, exactly. And getting trying to get inside the mind of Google and how they're thinking and making decisions can really yeah. help you focus your efforts on what you should be focusing on as an SEO or PPC practitioner. I don't know how you keep up on the PPC. I give up. I used to really keep up on it. <laughs> I totally give up. God bless you. It's uh, it's tricky for sure, but many of the same ways you mentioned, great Twitter community, great news resources, some great podcasts, and trial and error. <laughs> Hopefully not too much error. Yes, but just trying to minimize that error part, but it happens. It happens. So we are rounding out the year now, end of 2022, looking ahead to 2023. And it's that time of year where we do, you know, what were the big changes in 2022? What are we forecasting for 2023? So I have to ask you as someone who's been in the SEO industry for 20 years. Well, not 20 years, uh, 10 years. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. I was in property management 20 years ago, but ah, I've been in SEO for 10, my, 10 years. Let's set the record straight. How long have you yeah. been working in SEO, Morty? 10 years. 10 years. Okay. As someone who spent a decade working in SEO, looking ahead to 2023, any predictions on changes we might see or things you're really looking to focus on in 2023? 
I think uh, it's such a fun question or hard question to answer, depending how you slice this, because the the change is very progressive and it's very slow and it's been changing for a long time and it's on a spectrum. I think, you know, if you want to go back and do your demarcate errors in SEO, 2015, 2016 was the era of the SERP feature. 2018 is the era of like the core updates. Right? That's when Google started to announce their medic updates and all the, well, they didn't call it medic update, but we called it medic update. All of these kind of official core updates, they're always work core updates, but now they're totally different because they're doing different things. And now I think we're getting into an era where the algorithm is almost adjusting and I call it like real time. I mean, literally, you did, I know Google just announced yesterday um, the helpful content update version two. But the helpful content update is something that Google says it's basically there to go after SEO content. If you're writing content that has no actual value, you're just trying to rank for keywords or AI written content that's actually really bad content, which oftentimes it, it is, it's meant to go after that. And Google said, as opposed to you know a, a manual algorithm update, where they have to press a button and reset, press a button and reset, press a button and reset. This updates continuously. It's machine learning. And it'll evaluate websites. And then when it sees that the website has sort of hit this threshold where it deserves to be reclassified as either helpful or unhelpful, it will get reclassified as such. And that's continuously happening. So when they say they're updating the algorithm, it means they're making a tweak and improving the algorithm, but it's always running real time. And you sort of see that in the way the rankings are happening. I remember I pulled SEMrush data on this in 2021. In 2020 to 2021, the number of days with high rank volatility increased by like 60, 70%, something like that, which is insane. The actual drasticness of those fluctuations went down. Interesting. Meaning there's more fluctuations, there's more volatility in the rankings. But when those rankings are on the move, when they are being reshuffled, they're being reshuffled to lesser extents. Meaning, as opposed to say, you know, a couple of years ago, you were going from position two to position two hundred. Now you might go from position two to position twelve, for argument's sake. Which makes sense because we also know that search engine results are customized for different users as well, right? So it makes sense that you might yeah. have these different rankings over time, and they change incrementally. And they're getting it. It's like, as opposed to making these drastic switches, they're constantly making these smaller switches. Yeah. And they tend to reverse on themselves. You go up, you go down, you go up, you go down. And then they officially push the button and they officially make the change. And now you're stuck at that lower position until the next algorithm update comes around. The real next official one comes around. I would imagine as time goes on that pushing the button of the official update will go away to a greater or larger extent. And you're just going to have like real-time algorithm updates where they actually trust the machine learning to make a final decision and they don't have to push the button to say, okay, we like the way the, the way the machine learning has evolved or the new interjection or the new abilities we've added in. We don't need to test back and forth, test back and forth, and then push the button. We're just going to push the button on it and let it go and see what happens. I would imagine that's kind of where they want to go, which makes sense, by the way, because as a user and as Google, you don't want to have it where I lost rankings, I've made improvements to the website, now I have to wait six months for the next algorithm to come along to be restored. If you make improvements, you kind of want to see, have that website go back up because now it's a great website. Yeah. So real time is better for everybody. Th those kind of things I think are happening. That's just one thing. I think there's a bunch of other things that are going to happen, but that's one. Of course, machine learning, we know, I mean, huge for all industries, huge for tech and marketing and very huge for Google, who's made big bets on machine learning the past couple of years. Uh, interesting, though, that you mentioned around this helpful update, and I know Google has shared that they're 
not as interested in AI copywriting and text that's not written by humans. So on the one hand, they're loving machine learning when it comes to developing and improving their own algorithms, but then they're not loving it when people are using it to try to help themselves create more content. So can you can you talk a bit about that? I know people talk a lot about these AI copywriting tools. I've tested a few. Sometimes they make really good stuff. Like, is that really going to hurt me if I use it? Yeah, someone's going to go, here, I want them to do a, a, a newsletter. Here's a copy of the AI. I'm like, this is great. Just use it. It's awesome. Um, and I hate AI for writing. I'm like a writing critic. I'm like a real cynic when it comes to writing. Um, I think the problems like this, I've had sort of like conversations with Google about this on Twitter um, because it, it's something that Wix kind of solves. So we've been part of this conversation. I think it's why Google has kind of warmed up to Wix in a lot of ways over the recent years. There's a content shortage. And I know that sounds funny, though there's that definitely other languages. <laughs> yeah. Outside of English, they've admitted there's an actual shortage of content. But even in English, I know that sounds weird because you Google something and they say, you know, 5 million trillion results in 0.3 seconds. So what do you mean content shortage? What the hell are you talking about? It's a shortage of good content. There's a lot of bad content. And I think what's happened is, is that Google's realized, like, let me take a step back. I think the incentive cycle to create good content is broken. Interesting. If you go back to, like, let's say PageRank, Google's first foundational algorithm that looked at links and not just keywords, blah, blah, blah. So that meant Google was able to parse out good versus bad content better than, let's say, AOL or Yahoo. It doesn't mean that Google was really great at parsing out good or bad content. So the ability to do that is relative to the technological ability that Google has. And that's like to no fault of their own. You can't like, like God, like instantly create the most optimized, you know, machine learning algorithms. It takes time. Back in the day when you had just page rank kind of things, Google was ranking X kind of content. As a content creator, I'm looking, okay, Google's ranking this. This is what I'll write. As a user, you're looking, well, I guess this is what web content is. Probably not what I want out of a book, but all right, it's web content. Kind of what I expect. And what happened is Google got much smarter and said, like, we need to fix this because people are not SEOs, content creators, content marketing agencies. They're all spitting up this SEO-ish kind of fluff content, five ways to whatever. And they're not actually incentivized because we can't rank it. They're not incentivized to create really good content. So around 2018, Google started doing some really crazy stuff with their algorithm to try to change that, sift out the good from the bad to alter the incentive cycle. It's a really slow burn and we're not there yet. We're kind of there in the SEO community. We're finally like the last two years or so really talking about much better content, doing better content. And what's happened on the user side, users are completely woken up. Right? They're like, this is crap. <laughs> and it happens because, um, you know, Google or Facebook, they go in front of Congress and SEOs, we laugh. I remember like there was a guy from Congress going, uh, are you tracking me right now on my phone? I'm like, this is like, <laughs> this is a, these, these, are the, these are the people who are in charge of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but to the average person, they're looking at, okay, Google sitting in front of Congress. Maybe I shouldn't trust Google. And actually I pulled similar data on this. From 2017 to 2021, the number of queries about data privacy went up 100% across the globe. Oh, I believe it. Absolutely. People are more skeptical now. And now they look at the web with a much more skeptical eye. And when they get results back from Google, they're like, well, what is this crap? And it's not Google. Google's been trying to fix that for a long time. They slowly have been. I think it's us because we're not creating that content. And what I think what Google's trying to do with all these kind of updates to come back to it is change that incentive cycle where... You can't just spin out content with AI content. You can't just do X, Y, and Z. You need to actually create really good content. Original thoughts. 
<laughs> original thoughts. AI, by definition, is not original. It's just taking what's out there on the web and reconstructing it. Yes. So Google needs to fill that content gap. By bringing new information to Google, right? Organizing all the world's information and making it accessible and searchable and all that good stuff. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Yeah. And by the way, so like we look at Google, like, hey, what's ranking? And we're like, okay, I'll just kind of copy that. Like, if that's what's ranking. But who's to say that if Google didn't have anything better than that, they wouldn't rank that instead? Right. Interesting. And so for those who are listening who are like, okay, I'm on board. I want to create, you know, helpful, original, great content. Tactically, how can we approach that? How can people do that? Any advice? Yeah, don't use keyword research tools. Don't use keyword research tools. Somebody who who consults with and has worked for keyword research tools. (laughs) It starts, I think this is kind of a mistake where at least in the SEO world, we start, we look at a website, we look at what's out there and we try to do a keyword research and see, okay, like uh, a thousand people are searching for this. I'll write about that. But we don't really think about is where the user's coming from and what they need and what what they're looking for, what that actually means. The classic case that I kind of use is a big baseball nut. So sorry, I know Canada's kind of, you have the Blue Jays, We've got I guess. baseball. I got the yeah, Blue okay, Jays in cool. Toronto. Yeah. All right. Nice. Okay. So if you, if you search for go to Yankees game, I'm a big Yankees fan, you, sorry, you pretty much get um, websites where you're going to buy tickets and it's pretty linear. But as a user, when I search for go to Yankees game, I can meet a lot more things than just that. So by the way, keyword research tools are just scraping what Google's kind of showing. Like they're, they're, they're being fed by that. So they're not realizing this. There's kind of like, you know, it's a bad cycle. But when I search for go to Yankees game, I can mean anything from like, if I go there and wearing a Blue Jays jersey, you're getting my butt kicked, <laughs> right? Like, is it safe at night to go to the Bronx? Like, I don't know. How much the hot dog costs? Do, is like COVID still a problem? How, what's the public transportation like? Are there hotels? There's a million things that you, you mean for that. Yeah. And if you're talking, particularly, let's say you're targeting for whatever reason, you're talking an audience in Japan who also loves baseball about going to a Yankees game. They're not looking for just tickets, obviously. They need to know a lot more information. So you need to think about where your users are coming from and start from there and then kind of refine that along with what the tools offer you because the tools do offer you cool stuff. But it's only after you refine it based upon like empathizing with your actual audience and breaking topics down to their finer parts. It's fascinating to hear you say that because on now the PPC side of things, it's similar. You have the keyword right? But a keyword can have so much different intent. And so that's how layering audiences on top of keywords or using audience targeting has become much more popular in recent years because, right, the keyword is so powerful because they're typing into Google exactly what they want, but the meaning can be so different depending on who the user is. And so it looks like on the SEO side as well, which I hadn't realized, you know, to really effectively acquire new customers, which is what we're all looking to do through that search engine page, you need to think a bit about the user and empathize with what they really mean behind what they're saying or typing. Yeah. And there's usually so much implied in it, so much implied in it. 
Absolutely. And so switching gears a bit, we've been talking a lot about SEO, but of course you mentioned you're also in charge of SEO branding at Wix and really changing the perception of Wix and SEO. And so I'm sure listeners would love to hear a bit more about that. When you first came to Wix, that must have felt like a monumental task to really change the perception of an industry around a product. And so I would love if you could share a bit about how you approached that challenge and how you put together a plan for changing industry perception, because I think a lot of people can relate to having similar challenges. Yeah, I, I love brand marketing. And I think, by the way, I think there's a lot of overlap between brand marketing and SEO, but that's a whole different conversation for a different podcast, I guess. Yeah, people thought I was crazy for doing it. I remember someone going on on Twitter one time, his name's Mark Traphagen. He's a great guy. He works over SEO Clarity, which is another SEO tool. And he, he wrote, we all kind of thought you were crazy when you went over to Wix, but now we kind of see there's a story there about it. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Because that kind of put like validation to what I was been doing. Structurally speaking, it was, uh, I guess, one is diagnosing the problem and just really being honest about what the problem is. And at the time, like there was just a toxic relationship between the SEO community and Wix. And just recognize, like letting that sit for a minute and understanding where that came from, how that problem developed. But you have to diagnose like where this is coming from, why it's happening. I was, you know, historically speaking, Wix ran a Super Bowl campaign. I call it a comedy of errors. And they had a 30-second spot they're paying, you know, how many millions of dollars for an SEO? They wanted SEO to be a part of it. So you have like five seconds to talk to a very broad audience about SEO. And the way that it came off, I remember I remember being offended by it when I was an SEO, I don't know, was kind of like, well, SEO is so simple with Wix. Who needs that, you know, who needs who needs SEOs? Which wasn't the intent, obviously. And then, you know, sometimes what ends up happening is marketers, which Wix is a, does a great job marketing, try to market the way out of the problem. And this is a really good lesson for brand marketing. You cannot market out of a problem, which sounds crazy, but you have to legitimately work yourself out of the problem because marketers, especially when you're talking to other marketers, like B2B kind of thing, marketers spell marketing from a mile away. And that was like the first thing, like, stop, we're not marketing. Now we're just going to talk and we're just going to have conversations. And while Honestly, like the product itself, when I came along, the way I got to Wix was the head of Israel's largest SEO agency was a friend of mine prior to Wix. He went to work at Wix and he's like, why don't you come with me? I'm like, really? He's, and I, but I, I trusted him because like if he went there and he did this, there must be something there. And they did fix the product. And this is two years ago. They fixed it. I mean, now it's totally evolved, but they really handle some of the major problems. I'm like, okay, the point now is like, we need to like let people know but without selling to them, and I think it's a good point in general, like you want to take your users to the point where you educate them enough where the decision to do what you kind of are looking for them to do is the natural next step. And But it's autonomous. You're not trying to pigeon them down a hole. You see this, I see this on PPC and, and on, all the time with the landing pages. CTA, 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 CTA. Let me be a little bit autonomous and make a decision. Let me read what you have there. Let me feel like, okay, you know what? I'm going to decide to click. But when I feel you're trying to make me click, I'm out. There's human nature. Yeah. So, you know, we decided that it, the best course of action is just to really talk about what's in the tool and ask for feedback. Like, what would you want to have? Let's have conversations with people and let's legit take their feedback. And we did. I remember somebody going on Twitter saying, you know, when I do this, this, and this, and it had nothing to do with SEO, this is a problem. I'm like, that's a great point. And we fixed it. Someone came to me last week. Um, she used to be the, uh, the um, head of SEO at Canva. She's originally from Italy. She was looking at our dashboard in Italian. It's like, something's not right with your translation. I'm like, okay, let me take this. 
Turns out that the person who handles that was out on maternity leave and she just came back and said, yeah, I don't know what they did while I was gone, but I'm going to fix this. So being upfront and honest and ha- taking feedback, it may be uncomfortable because you don't want to hear criticism, of is a major way to start conversations to get people to realize that you are not an untrustworthy player. You are a trustworthy player in the space. And that was the very beginning of getting started with it. So really listening. And also I've seen kind of business school case studies sometimes where the company will market first and then the change comes later. But it sounds like it was the other way around here. We have to change the product first so we have credibility so that when we do start our marketing and people are willing to give us a look there, we over-deliver, not under-deliver. No, I, I, I'll, I'll say that now. Like We're going to be talking a lot more about, let's say, uh, bigger websites working on Wix. Whereas in the past, I didn't talk so much about that. Because forget SEO for a minute, just the Wix platform as a whole wasn't really ready for that yet. But they've done a lot of work on it, and now it is. So now it's time to start talking about that. Like you, there's a certain like flow to this. You can't just like, what's going to happen? You're going to pull them in. They're going to take a look at like, this doesn't work. Yeah. And then they're going to leave and never come back. (laughs) Right. And then you start getting a bad reputation. It's a vicious cycle. Absolutely. And so we've talked a lot about um, SEO and Wix. I'd love to talk a bit more about you and your personal brand. You mentioned like you have a podcast, you've been in this industry for a while. How do you think about, you know, Morty's brand in this industry and your own personal marketing alongside your various roles? Oh, man. Okay. I'm sort of like the class clown. The class clown always becomes the teacher, which was always fun because I used to always like pull jokes on my kids and there's a way above their head. And I always the only one who laughed at it, but that was fun for me. That's the kind of personality that I have. I know that sounds really terrible when you put it that way. So one is like, I just kind of like to go out there and have fun. I think it's like, I have a big personality. I'm actually a real big introvert. Like if you ask me, what do I want to do tonight? I want to sit at home and watch Netflix. But like once I'm out, all right, it's all in. So definitely like having personality, being out there, cracking. If you look at my Twitter feed, half of it is just cracking jokes. And the other half is trying to actually offer like information to, to teach, to share, to drive the conversation forward. And it's just a matter of like be. I remember somebody saying, I love your, your Twitter feed. There's so much information there. Which I like, I, I always, I'm like my biggest critic. I'm like, I don't think there is that much. It's mostly jokes, but you know, trying to as much as possible put out information, to share information, to share questions, to share what I found works, what doesn't work. You know, I, on podcasting, I found that, you know, the Googles had a cold carousel. You type in best marketing podcast and there's a whole carousel there. And they recently changed something and they add like, you click on a particular card in the carousel, it brings up a whole bunch of articles where your podcast is featured. I'm like, oh, you know, it's probably really important here. Links. I need to get links for the podcast. And I hate link building. And it worked. There you go. Yeah. As opposed to like, I'm not going to share that so, you could, so no one else can do it. I'm like, let me go on Twitter and share that. That's, that's what worked. And it's a great point with building community. I think so many people try to get started. You know, I'm going to build my brand. I will start tweeting and posting on LinkedIn. And they broadcast. Look at me. Look at me. And what you're mentioning is that when you do share content about your expertise, it's about giving it away. You know, like sharing value, making it about the audience rather than about you, but also you're not just an SEO machine. You're a full-fledged human and being able yeah. to express that, you know, is a way to really foster connections, which is what I would argue part of personal brand building is all about. I totally agree. I think it's weird when you see someone's feed and there's no personal like tinge to it. It's like, all right, I know this person's all about getting followers. I've struggled with it, I'll admit, because sometimes I'll follow someone who has like great PPC content and football. And I'm like, oh, I can't follow them because I don't care about football. You know, <laughs> but, That's but. a good point. 
But I'm not giving up talking about football, just FYI. There you go. All right. Well, I don't follow you yet. I'll have to change that after this oh. to talk more about SEO. I don't follow you yet either. Okay. Hold well, on. There after. we go. We'll see if we've earned the okay. follow after this uh, 30 minute conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll know how the podcast went if I get a follow afterwards. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, wrapping up today, I have to ask um, you mentioned how you keep in touch with SEO news earlier through podcasts and various publications. How do you keep up to date with the marketing industry in general and what's going on? Any favorite books or speakers or podcasts or accounts to follow? Uh, same thing. I like, you know, the like TechCrunch, The Verge, uh, The Next Web, those kind of things. On uh, newsletters, I happen to like newsletters these days okay. because there's so many articles and websites out there. So even if it's not just, you know, Insights, Kevin Indig used to be over at Shopify, who happens to be on our SEO advisory board now. Oh, hey. Yeah. So he puts out a great, it's called Growth Memo. That's a great newsletter. Um, and it's usually very holistic, not just like, usually from an SEO point of view, but it's way more holistic from a growth business point of view as well. So I really enjoy that. And so newsletters are a great way because I don't have time to go around every single day. I'm keeping up enough with this SEO. Yes. But if I get a newsletter, I can kind of like really quickly see, okay, last week, here's kind of what happened. Got it. So uh, what's, you know, um, yeah, the Marketing Brew, it's a good newsletter. Or morning, morning brew, marketing brew. Morning yes. brew, sorry. Morning brew. Marketing brew is an SEO tool. Sorry. Morning brew. There you go. And if people want to follow you or keep in touch with you, Morty, how can they find you across the interwebs? I am on Twitter mainly at Morty Oberstein. I'm on Mastodon. That's a whole <laughs> That's nightmare. a whole other story. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, Morty, thank you so much for joining us today on Marketing News Canada. I'm your host, Jill Saskin-Gales, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.